the humanities and social sciences. Welcome to another episode of Oh the Humanities and the Social Sciences, the hashtag hashchat podcast. In this episode, I'm joined by David Posker-Hill, who is talking about literacy, PBL, and the use of digital mapping in history. All right, in this episode, I'm joined by David Posker-Hill. David, welcome. Hi, thank you for, uh, for having me on, Marco. Uh, look, it's great to finally have you on the show. We've been plagued with technical difficulties um, sure recording the episode together, but you know, I'm, I'm sure they probably put man on the moon with less trouble than we've been having <laughs> uh, trying to get a podcast episode. Oh, that's true. That's true. Um, so, look, David, who are you? What should people be listening to you? What, what sort of um, what, what role do you have in education? Well, I don't know how many people should be listening to me, but um, I've been uh, I've been in the gig for just over ten years. Uh, started out after uh, after doing a BA. At at Sydney Uni in history, I had absolutely no idea what I wanted to do. Um, I started working in a cricket shop. I started doing some uh, cricket and sports coaching. And uh, one day just went, oh, hang on a second. I love history and uh, I love doing this coaching gig. Uh, maybe I can put two and two together and um, come up with seven. And so uh, very soon after after that, I uh, did my dip ed and my career's sort of gone you know, gone from there. And, um, you know, it took a while to get that pure history gig that I think uh, all historians really, really want. Um, but five years ago, I landed myself at Riverview, where I'm now the uh, assistant head of history and um, just loving, uh, really enjoying teaching uh, teaching these lads that are really, really driven, um, but also becoming increasingly open to a slightly new and different way of uh, looking at education and looking at the past. And look, you mentioned uh, you know landing that dream history uh, job that everyone wants, but um, I think that's a, that dream job that uh, any any subject teacher wants of getting you know if you're a, if you're a geography trained teacher getting yes. you know actually getting to teach your own subject and yes. you know if you're an art teacher actually getting to teach your your your, your own subject. So and that's that's something um, that's quite um, uh, quite quite big at the moment. Uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with uh, I'm not going to make any assumptions, but familiar with the flip the system. Um, yeah, it, um, it's it's on the radar, it's on the shelf, but you know there's another 472 other books on the shelf as well. Um, yeah. <laughs> I, look, I I'm just loving um, the commentary on Twitter, and uh, to be honest, every every day someone else is learning something and they're they're throwing it online. Mm. Um, and you know there, there's a there's a lot to be said, and I know there there are a lot of arguments for it, um, for an integrated approach to learning. Um, we've we've launched that. Um, at Riverview about two years ago, um, Year 7 uh, doing an integrated approach to STEM, uh, Year 8 involving I think it's RE, PDHPE and Geography and uh, we're looking at in 2020 launching a program with History, English and RE and um, late last year uh, about five or six of us got together and started doing some prep for, for how that integrated approach uh, could look. And uh, I'm really excited to see how three quite similar human- humanity subjects um, can look at different topics um, from their own uh, from their own lens. And uh, in those initial planning meetings, it, it was just amazing. You know, I'm I've taught very basic English um, over in London, and uh, I, I'm a terrible English teacher. Um, but it was really interesting seeing what those uh, those English guys brought to the table, um, even how they looked at the past, um, and then also uh, with with the guys in RE, 
um, just seeing what their focus on, uh, what their focus was, sorry, and and how they view um, the past, uh, how they view, I think, morality, philosophy, and some of the bigger picture questions that I think um, at heart a lot of the humanities-based teachers really want to engage with. Um, it's it's all well and good uh, teaching those basics and the core knowledge, and 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 that's awesome. And if you don't have a foundation in core knowledge, then I don't think you can progress. But I think at heart, educators are really looking to connect kids with those bigger ideas, the bigger understandings, um, and that that bigger sense of self uh, and who we are and how we can engage with this world. Fantastic! Look, thank you very much for that um, that brief. Uh, uh, <laughs> brief blurb on, on on the value of the humanities and what kind of what kind of work you're doing at Riverview and uh, uh, it, it, it will be remiss of me not to mention back to your um you, you taught basic English I remember when I first started <laughs> teaching out of area um I, I had to do um a, a job share a year seven English class oh yeah for about six months yeah and um they were doing humor though which is good because the um the uh you know the program that they uh, gave me um, explicitly said that we should watch a couple of episodes of The Simpsons and uh, read a couple of uh, Paul Jennings books. So that was right up my alley. So (laughs) that worked well. Um, So look, value of the humanities you've mentioned, Mm. Um, you've talked about the integrated, um, the integrated work that you're, um, that you're doing there. Um, Now, I know you're doing some great work there in terms of um, literacy focuses on history and working with PBL in history. Do you mind sure. talking um, talking to the listeners uh, about that? Yeah, de- def- definitely. Um, I think literacy is something that uh, history teachers and, and to be honest, all, all humanities teachers uh, really have to engage with. Um, we found, and, and it's not just our school, but um, working with boys can be challenging. It can be challenging to get them to read and then also it can be challenging to get them to engage with an extended response. And so over the last few years, there's been a few programs that we've been running at the school um, and particularly in history that uh, I I think have have really helped develop the boys. Uh, I think it came out of the um, right across the board in uh, in modern and ancient history. Um, We're seeing a, a dwindling of numbers, to be perfectly honest. I think there's a couple of thousand candidates um, have dropped from both modern and ancient in about three or four years. Um, and for me, that's quite shocking. And and so um, a bunch of us sat down and, and we had to think about a few different things. And one of the, one of the things that we came up with is that um, boys in particular are scared of the essay. You know, they're, they're worried about the extended response. And so part of our real literacy push is to demystify the essay, um, demystify the difficulty with paragraph writing, and demystifying that ability to put across um, a difficult uh, and comprehensive argument um, on a question. So we've um, we've actually stripped everything right back. We uh, we worked really well with the library, um, or have been working really well with the library over the last few years. And uh, Jess Lonard, who's who's in charge of our library, is doing some amazing work with them. Um, and so what we started doing is, uh, especially we, we we've looked at making sure we've got two extended responses per year group. And uh, what we do is we're now trying to get that um, that question out to the kids as early as possible in the term, um, allowing them to, uh, to learn and get the basics of the topic so they've got that great context. Um, but then what we try and do is uh, connect in and engage with the library so that their first few lessons 
um, where they're engaging with the uh, with their assessment with that essay is actually working one on one with the library staff. Um, this has also really helped with the the big plagiarism issue. Um, so what what we'll do is the library staff will um, remind the kids, look, this is how you read a text, this is how you draw notes out of the text, and then uh, working with us in history, this is how you construct your paragraph to um, actually develop an argument that's deep and is evidenced. Um, so what's what's been really, really cool is seeing, especially these 12, 13, 14-year-old boys, um, going in and doing their, their sort of assessment prep in the library. And rather than seeing them go and pick up a few random books or, or just Google and click on Wikipedia, um, the... Our staff and the library staff have, have formulated these, these programs where by the end of two lessons, they've already got an introduction written um, and a paragraph that's just perfectly structured and including evidence in it. Um, and so we're, we're really stoked to see that, that they're, they're doing things that um, uh, are quite academic, are quite deep, and that are going to be long-lasting. Um, we really don't want to see kids coming into year 11 not being able to write an essay or, or an extended response. Um, there's no real excuse why that should happen anyway, um, but we're stoked to see this, this, this push in literacy, especially with extended responses over the last few years. Now, do, do you use um, a specific uh, paragraph you know, writing structure uh, to help the students or do you, how, do you, how do you help the students sort of formulate that best, that best paragraph, you know, give them that foundation they need? Yeah, we've you know we've gone back and forth uh, forth in the faculty, and um, and we've disagreed here and there. I like, and the majority of us just like that peel structure. Um, it, I think it's pretty clear for the boys. Um, I think it's pretty clear for all kids to be perfectly honest, you know, making your point. So getting that that topic sentence short, sharp that engages with the question, uh, explaining what you're trying to say in your paragraph. Um, integrating evidence into that explanation and then making sure at the end of the paragraph um, and also maybe midway through that paragraph that you're making a clear link to the question. Um, we found that some of our brighter students will just, when they're not focusing on that structure, they just knowledge dump. You know, oh, I know this, I know this, I know this, I know this. And at the end of it, they haven't answered the set question. Um, and so they're sort of shooting themselves in the in the foot, to be perfectly honest. Um, and by bringing it back to that peel structure, which, yeah, it does seem a little bit rigid, um, but we are flexible. You know, you have great kids that just can um, can respond in a way that uh, connects with the question, engages evidence, um, and is is quite beautiful to read. Um, but but we really go with peel, and and I think that's worked wonders over the last few years. Yeah, and look, and you're right as well. There are students who who um, just tend to regurgitate everything they know about a topic. This is everything yep. I know. This, 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 um, and they they answer the question they wish they were given, but not actually answer the question that they actually were given. Correct. Uh, classic. Uh, and then they, then they, they answer. Yeah, and they come up and they come up and you know argue the point and say, but you know I spoke about this. I spoke about this. This is all in the textbook. It's all in the syllabus. Mm. You know, it's all correct information, and you have to say well, it is. It is correct, but you've not actually answered the question, though. Yes, yeah. And and you you you, um, so, you feel for those kids. Um, sorry to cut you off. You you feel for those kids because you know they've done the hard work. Um, they know their stuff. They they're actually connecting with evidence. Um, but at the end of the day, 
if you don't answer a question, be it for um, a written essay at school or be it for a job interview, um, then you're not actually doing what's required. Uh, and so I think it's an essential skill that we've just got to keep um, hammering the kids with and reminding them, you know, at the end of the day, just answer the damn question. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Um, so can, can you can you talk me through a bit more about how the PBL fits into this again? Sorry? Can you talk me through a bit more about how the PBL uh, or, you know, your version of PBL fits within your assessment programs? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a couple of things that we've done, but um, I think the unit that that we're we're probably most proud of, um, we run in year eight elective history, um, and you know, not a fancy title. We just call it the Passion Project, and we give the kids between oh, it's between about five and seven weeks to create a research essay and I guess a mini historical investigation on a topic, a historical topic of their choosing. Um, for me, when you come to history and you kind of project-based learning, I mean, history is project-based learning. Um, it's you, you come in with a, a problem, a question, an idea, a concept, and you, you're digging in really deeply and um, and presenting your argument. So, um, what what we do here is we we found, and it's evolving process. To be honest, next year um, how we how we do this will will change and will be tweaked, um, and it and it has over the last four or five years. Um, but what we do is we give them week-by-week week goals. So firstly, um, the first thing that they actually do, we hand out their assessment. We say, in seven weeks' time, you're going to give us an 850-word essay. Um, in four weeks' time, you're going to do a uh, one- to two-minute elevator pitch of what your essay is and why you've chosen to do it. And in that first lesson, um, we just ask them, mind map what in history you're interested in or mind map what from history... Uh, you know some things about. Um, and then lesson by lesson, we break down uh, the historical process. Um, so say they've chosen World War II. Brilliant. That's what you're going to go with. Um, let's start getting some basic information on that. Let's go to Google. Let's go to Wikipedia. Let's find, let's narrow it down. You can't just do something in World War II. Let's do something um, uh, maybe on uh, warfare. In World War Two, and maybe let's narrow it down as well. Let's let's maybe look at um, uh, air war, for example. And then from there, we say, okay, you've got your topic. Let's start doing some background research. And this could be moving into their second week um, of this project. Um, and I should just pause and say we allocate all their class time for this five to six or seven weeks that we do on this task. So. They're, um, they're either in class or they're in the library. They're using their history teacher. They're using um, and trying to connect with the library staff as well. Um, and they're uh, really immersing themselves in this, in this project. As they go through the weeks, um, we're starting to upskill them in uh, source analysis, um, then into how you write that perfect in- introduction, you know, making sure it's short, sharp, uh, to the point and can connect, connect the reader. And then also taking them through the drafting process because we found that, or I found a lot of students, um, particularly the lads that we teach, are, I guess, very similar to me in the sense. Um, You know, uni, I get to the end of an essay um, and after spending a few weeks on it and and doing all these different readings, all I want to really do is just um, click send and walk away. Um, But we actually teach them the drafting process. We get them to print it out give them a red pen, give them a highlighter and say, 
Uh, read it out loud. Does that sentence make sense? Um, is this paragraph arguing a single point or do you have a whole heap of different ideas in there? Because we really want them to write these short, sharp paragraphs that really get to um, straight to the point um, and are well evidenced uh, in that point as well. From that drafting process, um, they then go, th go through, um, they submit it, um, they get their feedback and um, the boys have really enjoyed this. Um, we've had projects anywhere from, you know, your classic sort of World War II. Um, a lot of the boys love doing, you know, the history of Man United or the history of the Wallabies. And um, they're great projects to do. I think um, those those real sports-based ones, it's hard for the teacher. The teachers have to do a lot of work to just make sure the kids aren't sitting there watching replays of last time the Wallabies won the Bledisloe, you know, 20 years ago. Um, and, uh, but it's something that the kids get a lot of value at. And, and I actually, to be honest, I think it's genuine, um, PBL, it's genuine history. Um, and, and I think the lads really enjoy it. Well, and that, that's what makes it the most important, I guess. If you walked in there and just said, right, we're all going to be studying, you know, this, you know, the same topic and you're all going to be doing this exact same time period, for example, mm. this the kids are going to switch off. They're not going to engage. Yeah. You're not going to care. Yeah. Um, they they're going to um, they're going to find more, not just beneficial, but more enjoyment, I guess, as well, from doing something that they're actually interested in. And that's something that I think a lot of um, a lot of a lot of subjects might tend to lack that real word, uh, that real world, sorry, um, uh, connection with what the students actually want and like. Yeah, I I, I agree. And and one thing that that we're doing as we are going towards, you know, more extended response um, process in in assessment. You, you know, you get accusations here and there of, oh well, you've got to be creative, um, and oh that's a bit old school and that's a bit boring. But but what we really try and do with almost every assessment that we give them, be it an extended response, a source based task. Um, a speech or even um, even an, an in-class essay or, or exam is saying, look, here's five or six or seven different options that you can choose from. Um, and by doing that, I think it gives them an opportunity to find something that they're interested in. I mean, the kids may not love uh, Renaissance Italy. They, it may not be their thing. They might not get it. Um, however, if you say to them, um, you know, all right, you're going to write an extended response and uh, and maybe the question is something as broad as um, justify what you believe the uh, most interesting aspect of Renaissance Italy was. Then you give them a chance to look at 10 or 15 different topic areas and I guarantee you that every kid is going to be able to find something um, that they find interesting um, if they're given a wide range of opportunity like that. Yeah. Now, look, I want to go back. You mentioned, um, you know, when you yourself are doing uni assignment, it's a little bit of a sidebar. Um, yep. how's, what are you doing at uni? What, um, how's your master's going? Yeah, so I'm, um, I've, I was talking to a friend today, actually, and we've realized that I, I seem to have spent my life at uni at the moment. There's about a five yeah. or six year, five or six year uh, hi, uh, hiatus um, from, from when I finished uh, school and undergrad and then dip ed and then master's in history and then I'm currently doing a master's of educational leadership. Um, uh, I think 
I think if, if you you know you connect with a lot of people that have done it, um, a few of a few of the guys doing it have sort of thought, oh, it's something that we we need to do. A lot of us are in um, uh, sort of lower middle management or or leading smaller teams, um, and we thought, look, this is something we we've kind of got to do, and um, it's it's now seen as a sort of next run on the career ladder. Um, but to be perfectly honest, um, I've really enjoyed the last year uh, of doing it. I've done some uh, great subjects. Coaching and mentoring for me um, was uh, absolutely brilliant with uh, Hoa Nguyen and it, it really taught me an immense amount about not just coaching and mentoring in a, in a formal manner but just the ways in which um, you can talk to your colleagues, encourage your colleagues um, or, or even try and introduce small programs in your school um, that involve engaging with each other and connecting with staff so that you can you can help build each other up and develop a better educational experience for the kids. And and when when are you projected to finish your um finish your course? Um I think my <laughs> major research project will be in uh, in the first semester of 2020. Um as uh, as you know I've got a second one due imminently um and so uh, so two kids could throw that off a little bit. Um, mm. however, uh, all things going to plan, I'm halfway through in about two weeks time and then, uh, we'll knock off the other four units, um, within about 18, 18 months. Jeez. Well, good luck with all that. <laughs> <laughs> Cheers. Yeah. Uh, look, okay. Let's, let's get back to, um, get back to, uh, back to business. Um, the other thing I want to have a chat to you about, um, which you flagged with me before um, before we organised this, was uh, how you use Google Maps in history. Yeah, yeah. Um, so what kind of activities are you doing um, in history that require Google Maps? What can uh, teachers take away from this? Yeah, look, I, I reckon Google Maps are great. I, I, don't, I don't use them enough. I'm not um, – I've probably not invested enough of my time um, upskilling myself in it. Um, however uh, – I've, I've actually used it quite a bit in Year 11 Ancient. Uh, Rome is, and particularly early Imperial Rome, is, is my thing. I love doing it. Um, so there's, there's two ways that, that I've used uh, Google Maps to engage the kids um, in a number of activities. The first was um, the old unit that I did up until about two years ago, City of Rome. Um, it was a classic Year 11 unit, uh, a great way to upskill the kids before they did Pompeii and Herculaneum. Um, and so what I, what I do with that task is um, I get the kids to, and let's say there's about 15 kids in a senior class, um, we'd actually work together on a single Google map um, and I'd pick out 15 different points of interest within the city of Rome. And, um, and each one of them gets to control um, that point of interest and so what we do is we create different different layers um, and so shade the city of Rome uh, while it actually grew. Um, and so so the kids could see, you know, um, in the sort of seven, eight hundred, nine hundred year period, um, Rome grew immensely and, and here are the ways and here are the different walls. Um, importantly, you know, here are the, um, the seven great hills um, there as well. Um, and then what they would do is, okay, Say one of them is doing um, Pantheon, they would locate it on on the map. They drop a pin, and then they go do some research. And we give them five or six um, basic questions. You know, 
what was it made out of, what was the key features, um, doing, doing a bit of a description, um, who used it, how it was used, why it was used, um, and then compiling a few images. And so at the end of a couple of lessons, you sort of let them go with it. Um, everyone has this uh, personalized map of Rome um, that is the classes uh, map of Rome, and they can see the progress and development um, of the city over time. And, you know, it was just one of those really good, fun things that um, there was two ways that you could have done the activity. Um, we could have got them to just sort of write it down on paper and do a sort of chart and that sort of thing. And that's all well and good, and that's often appropriate. Um, but this was just a, I think, slightly more interactive way um, and more visual way for the kids to uh, to engage with um, learning about those those key features in Rome. Um, so I enjoyed that. The, the one I found really uh, interesting and one that I linked with an assessment last year um, was during the Roman Games unit in uh, at the start of year 11. Um, and what I actually got all the boys to do um, was to select one amphitheatre in the Roman world. And they had to um, drop a pin uh, on, on the map and they had probably about six to seven hundred words of information, some basic questions that they had to uh, that they had to fill out um, to get a couple of really good uh, images of that. But also making sure that there were some, um, if there were any quotes that they could have got from ancient historians or um, any ar- anecdotes or narratives about what happened um, in those amphitheaters, um, they had to put those down on paper, and. That gave the kids a really good understanding of um, just how broad the Roman Empire was. And the most important point I was trying to get across to them was um, the idea of Romanization um, and how uh, Roman culture was able to spread and how the Romans actually spread um, their culture and, and, and their influence. And one of the key ways of doing that um, was through leisure activities such as um, going to the games. So what they did is they actually had to, I gave them um, a couple of lessons in class to get their heads around it and to start working on it, but they actually had to submit this about three weeks before their major essay, um, which was on the spread of the Roman games and the influence of the Roman games. And what I asked the boys to do was make sure that they looked at um, not just the example that they had found, but the examples of other students, the examples that other students had done and, and to make sure that they're using those examples as evidence in their own personal major essay. Um, so, I, look, I think it was a, a fun way of demonstrating the, the breadth of the Roman Empire, um, demonstrating influence, how culture is spread, but also getting the kids to collaborate in, in a genuine way, um, getting them to um, use the information that that a friend had um, come up with and had researched well and had summarised well, um, and they were able to utilise that in that in that uh, major essay. Um, so I think it was a really positive task. And, and I'd just say, look, I'm, uh, I love to have a crack at these sorts of things. I'm no Google Maps expert by any means, um, but I often find that either YouTube in a tutorial or just typing in uh, in Google, how the hell do I use Google Maps, um, gave me the the answers uh, that I could then give to the kids, uh, and it it made me um, I guess less fearful of uh, of having a go at something that was just a little bit different. 
And look, and, and on top of that, thank you very much for that. There's some great activities, but on top of that, um, the you know, the cliche that everything's a teachable moment. But when you show a vulnerability to students that you don't know how to do something and you're willing to learn how to do it, it sends them a great message of, well, you know, if this person who's standing up front, you know, doesn't know how to do something and they're taking the effort to try and better themselves, then, you know, I can do the same. Yep. Yep, 100% agree. I just think, you know, I'm not going to say nine-tenths of our job, but, um, you know, our, our role is modelling. You know, the, the way we interact with, with kids, the way we um, show our devotion to the subject. And, you know, we are talking about subject um, specialisation before. You know, I like you, I've taught a range of subjects, be it history, um, English, PE, geography, religious education. Um, and I can honestly say that, you know, despite the fact that history is my passion, um, that in every class I go in there and give it my absolute best. And, and I think that's important because then the kids see that you're trying to find something, you know, in geography that you don't think is particularly interesting, but you're trying to find the passion and enthusiasm and interest in that. And I think that models it to the kids and, and they're more likely to engage with that topic. Exactly. Look, David, thank you very, very much for coming on the podcast. It's, it's been a, an amazing chat about um, literacy, PBL in history and, and particularly in a boys setting as well and looking at um, Google Maps. Is there anything you want to leave the listeners with before we sign off? No, no, no. Just uh, just thank you for the uh, the chance to have a chat. It's been uh, – I'm glad it's finally happened and uh, I look forward to people agreeing, disagreeing, yelling at me, um, thinking I'm a nut job. That's, that's totally fine. Um, if you want to connect with uh, with me, uh, just like with Marco, Twitter is probably a really good way um, at doing it. Um, my handle's at Posca, so at P O S K A, and um, you know it'd be great to start a conversation. And, and more importantly, one thing I love doing is just start collaborating more, um, not just around the world, but you know when when we've got all these resources at our fingertips, I think schools um, really do themselves a disservice. Uh, by not connecting up with each other more. So um, hopefully it's the start of uh, connecting a little more with uh, some uh, some others of you out there. Perfect. Well, David, thank you very much. Cheers. Have a good one. Thank you for listening. To continue the conversation, find us on Twitter at hashtag HouseChat. This podcast is part of the Australian Educators Online Network. AEON.net.au